It's okay, you're in the right place. This is the Cafe Coucho Podcast. Hey y'all, you're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. or good morning if you are listening to the repeat this is Cafe Calcio on Resonance 104.4 FM the show that examines the sport of football in its cultural context my name is Chris Dixon uh, I am joined this week by David Stubbs good evening David good evening how are you I'm fine thank you very much the week in the world of football has been uh, good for you yes yes it's all better than last week yes I mean you know there were the doubters and the sneerers who reckoned that Wenger should um, have resigned at the end of last season like but, you yeah, yes but but, um, yeah, well, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's looking all right at the It's moment. looking, looking better in the, the garden of, of Arsenal as well. and what have you. Yeah, yeah right, okay, whatever. Um, enough of that. Yeah. Um, yes, so tonight's topic actually is a bit of a continuation from last week. Uh, Chris Roberts, obviously, as we know, was watching Everton versus Wolfsburg in Germany. Uh, we had a bit of a, a bit of a call, a bit of reportage with him live over the phone. It, it sounded like he was reporting back from behind the Iron Curtain to you, didn't I it, I thought David? it was a magnificent piece of reportage, yes. full of atmosphere and uh, evocation and whatnot. So... Our theme kind of continues this week. Um, a little bit later on, we're going to be talking to Steve Armstrong of the Manchester United's United We Stand fanzine, who is a most seasoned uh, away traveller. And as much as that annoys me, uh, that he supports a club that has the luxury afforded to him by years and years of success and monotony... Um, we're going to be talking to him because he has some experience and anecdotes to share, certainly, of the well-travelled fans. So we'll be talking to him. Um, we'll also be talking to Kevin Miles. I caught up with a little uh, him a little earlier. He's chief executive of the Football Supporters Federation. And he runs what are known as fan embassies. He's been to, I think, the last 167 England games, England away matches, taking with him the fan embassy to give people tips and, and, and maps and and yeah. you know and where to go and what to do and what happens if you get into trouble. Um, yeah. This this point of liaison with England fans and and, yeah. and and you know all the requisite info that you would need to attend a game on an ad, you know on an, an organised basis. You must for, have been have to go to San Marino fans. more times than you would care to over the years. I think San Marino is probably quite a nice place to go. Mm-hmm. You know, the football might not be too interesting. No, I just want, but you know, once you've kind of you know walked down the street and seen the sort of statue of the founder of the stage or something like that, I can't imagine what else there is to do. I suppose, but. Uh, yeah. Sounds like a dispatch that you should uh, <laughs> that you should sort of go on. Go out there, go to San Marino. Mm. That sounds like the perfect, the perfect match to report on for a when Saturday yeah. comes. Yes, actually, Not yeah. England yeah. versus San Marino, Liechtenstein yeah. Oh, yeah, versus absolutely. San yeah, Marino. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's likely to be a game. Yeah, yeah. That, that could be interesting, certainly. <laughs> so, um, Chris Roberts will join us uh, a little later on uh, so that we can get more you know, bring more info out of him for his away trip um but yeah that's that's really you know continuing on this sort of european travels in football or world travels in football actually kevin's been you know around the world with england with his fan embassy uh, miami beach to name but one place that I think we spoke of in this interview. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email cafecalcho at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at cafecalcho. Um, we've got a website that's been so long in development, it's untrue. Um, 
it's going to launch in 2015. I'm genuinely, Mm. genuinely excited about the prospect of that actually happening. Uh, So, yes, if you have had any recent trouble getting in hold of any of our content on SoundCloud, well, that's not going to be a problem for much further than December of this year. Uh, Yes, website cafecountshow.com going live in January. Anyway, uh, let's press on. We shall now speak to, or indeed I spoke to earlier, uh, Kevin Miles, Chief Executive of the Football Supporters Federation, um, about the makeup and the purpose and the origin of fan embassies. What's your role within the fan embassy? Is there a fan embassy within the UK or is it, or are there UK embassies across countries in Europe? I mean, how, how does this all work? How is it structured? Well, it, it's probably best to explain it as a bit of a process. Um, okay. Is it, it, I mean, the, the first, uh, the concept of a fan's embassy really first surfaced at um, Italia 90. Okay. Where a group of activists from the Football Supporters Association who are travelling out there as England fans just decided to get themselves organised as uh, on a purely voluntary basis. There was no external funding or sponsorship at, at that stage. Okay. Just to help to organise other England fans, help organise each other, pass on information and support each other. And then, obviously, as that, that particular tournament unfolded, mm-hmm. and there was some particularly rough treatment of England fans by the Italian Carabinieri on um, the island where we were all corralled, Okay. Um, there was a, a lot of you know, work taken up about um, championing the cause of football supporters, making the case that not everybody who went to following there was a hooligan, but we all seem to be treated as such. Uh, and so there was a lobbying role in there as well. And that's something which has just really picked up and evolved from there. There was a similar sort of uh, operation run in Sweden in 1992. In 1994, of course... Um, we didn't qualify and the World Cup was in the US anyway, wasn't it? Exactly. So there wasn't an English fans embassy um, out there. And then, of course, it was a different quality in Euro 96 because England is the host nation. The Football Supporters Association there linked up with some of the host cities and provided a fans embassy service for visiting fans uh, coming over here. So, for instance, I had a very tenuous connection with the fans embassy in Newcastle where we produced guide material for to the wonderful city of uh, Newcastle in French, Romanian and Bulgarian for the visiting fans of the three countries who are going to play their matches uh, in St James's Park. How did people get hold of that material? Well, we had a, a, a there was a base in Newcastle, a little office that people could come to, and then the other, other way was just people on the streets going around looking for when the trains okay. arrived into Newcastle carrying fans. Just you know, pretty low tech again in 1996. There was no websites in, or anything in no. connection with it. So it was just material distributed by hand. So what, uh, did someone just sort of have this sort of back, bucket of, box of pamphlets or something and they'd wave a Bulgarian flag at train stations? Or, or... Well, there was probably, <laughs> even by Tyneside standards, slightly greater sophistication <laughs> than what you've just described. <laughs> but, yeah, pretty much it was just a, a buy fans for fans, and that's the essence of it still. Yeah. Uh, using the best of the resources and your means at disposal that you were available. But yes, it was people in T-shirts wandering the street looking for foreigners. Um, So I'm guessing a lot came out of, of, of that tournament in terms of your... You're meeting and and making sort of friends and allies with, with international football fans. Well, Yes and no, because the, the, there was a bit of a parallel development with the fans' embassy stuff with the Germans, because the Germans also, through the fan projects, mm. uh, they also had an operation running at Italia 90. Um, they had a similar operation running in Sweden in 1992. I don't know, and I don't care what they did in America in 1994, because we weren't allowed to come and play with them. But they certainly ran an operation in England. They ran a mobile fans' embassy following the German fans around as indeed did the Dutch at mm. that stage. The Dutch had the beginnings of a fans' embassy at that point as well. You know, I, I don't know if you visited any of these, but during the London Olympics in 2012, there were all these kind of fan, uh, sort of national houses as well. So the Dutch had Alexandra Palace and loads of sort of Dutch sporting tourists took over that area of North London and just sort of vast swathes of hotels had Dutch flags coming out of them and all that sort of thing as well. I mean, these were, were these sort of also sort of social focal points as well as informative ones? Um, 
from the fans embassy point of view not so much um, it was mostly just about assistance and information mm-hmm. at that point I mean you've got to bear in mind that the football tournaments first of all like the Olympics you're dealing with lots of cities so I mean the Germans had a a fairly steady presence, I believe, in Manchester. Yeah. Is where they were based. And, of course, the tournament organisers organised things like fan zones. In Newcastle, there was a big fan zone in what used to be the the, uh, the where the brewery had been demolished and they put a big tent city up there and welcomed fans there with big screens and stuff. But that was all done by the city and the tournament organisers. Mm-hmm. And that was a social centre. But the fans' embassies were more on the periphery of that, giving out the, you know, the information and, and help and, and supporting people. So it's never really you know, developed that sort of social role, which is interesting because it has a relevance today because still when we go abroad, and I organise the fans' embassy for the England teams abroad, mm-hmm. there's all half an expectation when we're asking permission to locate ourselves somewhere that, oh, does that mean thousands of fans are going to congregate here? Well, actually, I'm not that popular. <laughs> the fans' embassy is not so highly thought of that everybody gathers around it and stays there. We do have a steady stream of people coming for information for the fanzine that we produce to pick up their free copy of the fanzine. But it's much more of a people calling in, chatting for 10 minutes and then moving on rather mm. than being a gathering point or a social thing. So, I mean, other than just sort of like distributing information, I mean, we, look, we think of embassies on a sort of a on a legal level sometimes, don't we? Sort of representing fans that have sort of specific problems. Um, I know Amanda Jacks, you know, acts as, acts as advocate for a lot of fans who, who have sort of had dealings or have felt that they've been roughly treated by, by the law or their football clubs. I mean, do the embassies ever take any kind of, any anything like that kind of role when they're abroad? Or do you put them in touch with people who can? or Or is that solely the job of a standard embassy? No, I mean, we, I mean, we work very closely with the standard embassies because there's clearly an overlap in some of the stuff that we do. Mm. But because, I mean, I'm talking, when I'm talking about the fans' embassies in, in the first person here, yeah, I'm talking particularly about the, the operation that I run that follows the England national team abroad. Right. Um, and, I, and we've been to every England game pretty much since Euro 2000 um, with the fans' embassy. Uh, so you are uh, always there when yes. England travel away? Yes, we do a fans' embassy pretty much for every game. Um, which means that we've got a really high recognition factor among a lot of the fans. I mean, I'm what they call, uh, by virtue of my job rather than any particular devotion, but I'm what they call a top capper in that I've got the maximum number of loyalty points that an England fan can have. Right. You know, because I, I'm at every game. That's pretty impressive, I suppose. Is it? But then, as well, you I mean, say, I'm, I'm that's, that's a, so, get, that's a side effect as being, of being there. Yeah, it is, pretty much. And... Uh, the, but what it means is that I've been every game we've been seen at every game by all the regular travellers so you get like a level of trust built up mm. we are therefore normally if anybody has a problem the first port of call and I mean there are obviously things that only the British Embassy can do that we can't but we operate if you like a bit of a triage service when people come and we work out how best they can be helped so if they've lost their passport uh, that's clearly not we don't issue passports no. that's something that British Embassy has to do but even there we can prepare them. We can let people know if there is stuff they have to do before the trip's off to the British Embassy. So if they need a police report to confirm that their passport has been lost or stolen, if they, you know, they can do that first before they have to trail across maybe to a different city to a British Embassy to be sent back to get a police report. We can let them know how much it's going to cost them, that they need passport photos. We can try and make sure they've got as much of the passport details as possible. So that's even on something that we don't directly help with. But there are lots of things that we can help with that the British Embassy can't uh, and won't. So the British Embassy you know, it will inform next of kin in the case of an accident. Mm. What they won't do is help you find which pub your mates are in if you've lost them. That 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 seems possibly a little... You, you're right. I think the division of labour, that sounds quite logical. Yeah, <laughs> there are some, a few more blurred edges. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are some where it's not quite as obvious. But yes, in terms of the people having problems, we have normally contacts with lawyers in the local area if anybody does get arrested. You know, if there are problems about how fans are being treated, then we have acted as a, a collecting point for representation. You know, there have been a couple of times, for instance, in Madrid in 2004, where the England fans were uh, effectively attacked by the police on the way into the, the Bernabeu uh, for that particular friendly 
we collated a lot of witness statements afterwards. Mm -hmm. We pressed the government to hold a, your inquiry. We actually, it was the first time that I'm aware of that the a British government uh, minister has complained to their foreign counterpart about the treatment of football fans because previously the reaction of a British government minister has always been to support the police of the other country. Yeah. Uh, but So, we, yes, we have to do some like, stuff like that. Well, I've got to say, over the course of the last 10 years or so, that role has not had such prominence as it had previously. I mean, we had to do a lot of that at Euro 2000 when there was 960-odd England fans deported and arrested. But we've had... I think half a dozen arrests abroad over the course of the last few years. You'd consider that an improvement, wouldn't you, really? Yes, exactly. And I mean, we're quite happy not to have to be referring people to lawyers and yeah. you know, find them legal assistance or whatever. So, what's the process in advance of a game? I mean, how far in, how far in advance do you start planning? Well, I mean, again, this is something that's evolved, and I'm again specifically talking about what I do with the mm -hmm. England national team now, but. Normally, about a month or six weeks before a fixture takes place, uh, I mean, you, you get advance notice of where and when the fixture is going to be. It depends on you know, the tournament rules. It's either 90 or 60 days notice. You get absolute confirmation. It's the latest thing to give you confirmation of what the venue is. Mm -hmm. And there's a security pre-visit which is organised then, which is normally uh, convened and organised by the Football Association. Uh, but they take with them uh, obviously, their support, uh, security representatives, the people responsible for looking after supporters from their point of view and policing their membership scheme. They take with them a representative of the UK Football Policing Unit, which is the intelligence operation around English football. They take with them a representative of ACPO, the Association of Chief Police Officers normally, mm -hmm. who's responsible for leading the British police delegation as they go over there. Um, they meet with the British Embassy staff from the host country, the, the, you know, the UK staff who are permanently based there. And they meet with the counterparts uh, from the other countries. So they'll meet with the host police force, the host football association, people from the city authorities, and me, because I travel along on that as well. And I think the England has been the first country which has actually taken supporter representatives along to those security meetings, which means that the veil is lifted. Yeah, of course. On what the process is. We yeah. find out exactly what the considerations are. Um, you know how we're going to be treated, what the, you know what the laws are that are going to apply, what their plans are for the entry procedures, mm. or whether there's going to be a hold back in the ground afterwards, all of those sorts of issues. So I'd go that like a month or six weeks in advance, and then my job is to communicate that in a user-friendly way to anybody who's travelling or thinking of travelling mm -hmm. out there. So they've got as much of that information in advance. We then turn up for the game itself. We normally turn up a couple of days in advance, and we set up our fans' embassy, which normally consists of hiring a car locally <laughs> um, and clagging on the side of it our magnetic livery. Excellent. Fans embassy. So the fans' embassy is actually a, 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 a higher car? Normally, yes. <laughs> normally, in normal Brilliant. circumstances. That's... I mean, occasionally we get somewhere where they don't allow cars in the city centre, and right. if it's a nice, sunny place... Uh, one particularly arduous example was we went to Miami for the friendlies before the World Cup. Yep. Okay. And on South Beach in Miami, they didn't particularly want us parking a car up there. But such was the baking hot sunshine, etc. We didn't really feel we needed the set the shelter and rain protection of a sure. car. Fine, fine. So we had we put our flags up, we put our magnetic livery on the little metal table that we borrowed from a cafe, and we just sat in the sun and did it. So it depends on the on the you know, the location and the circumstances. But normally it would be a car. And we set up on the day before match day and then all day on match day, and we have a presence all day where people can come and see us. And they pick up the fanzine that we produce, which is called, uh, the incredible witty pun, mm -hmm. Free Lions. That's, that's free with an F that's, because we don't charge for it. That's deep and works on very many levels. Oh, you'd be amazed, the thought and effort that went into yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but we've produced, I mean, the last one I did was for the, the Scotland game, um, just up in November up in Glasgow, and that was issue 137. So that's the number of consecutive away games that we've run this particular service that's, at that's with that magazine. Impressive. And it's, got, it's, it's a decent little magazine. It's, uh, you know, good, decent you know, production values and stuff, so mm -hmm. it's actually worth having. Yeah. And there's a lot of people now collect them. I mean, I believe there's even a a black market trading them on, um, on eBay. It's a bit ironic given that they're free and you can always get a back copy from the FSF office for nothing as well if you want one. But anyway. Brilliant. Um, and then we, we shift those and we run 
a 24-hour telephone helpline service as well if anybody needs any assistance. We also run a text message update service. So because we, I mean, obviously we do Facebook updates and mm-hmm. Twitter updates to people, mm-hmm. but a lot of people when they're traveling abroad still are switching off the data roaming. Yep. And we find that a text message is quite a good way of pushing out a message rather than waiting for people to go online and get it. Do you get information? I mean, this is probably quite a technocratic question, but do you get that information of those people travelling or is it an opt-in service? It's an opt-in. It's very much an opt-in, yeah. I mean, the the, the FA require people to tell them how they're travelling. I mean, in Scotland, everybody had to pick up their ticket locally and obviously they have those databases, but there are data protection issues about why they can't share it. Yeah, of course. The other thing is we don't draw quite the same line as the FA because the FA will only provide information and stuff or you know, any contact to people who are members of their scheme who've gone through the police vetted scheme. Um, that sounds complicated. And their, mem- their membership scheme. Yeah, to, to be an England away fan and get tickets from the FA, you have to join a membership scheme. It costs 60 or 70 quid per two-year qualifying campaign. And everybody's police vetted. So if you've got convictions for violence or disorder, you don't get to go. You don't get a ticket. No, right. I can I can see why that's been done. Certainly. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we we provide a service to absolutely everybody, which that doesn't mean that we're looking to help um, people with murderous intent. But there into, are people who, yeah. for instance, expats who live in the host country, they're never going to join for sixty or seventy quid. Yeah. But they're interested in going to an England game. People want to go to a one-off game because yeah. they've got family living there or something else. And we'll deal with everybody. But when you say you, you do kind of represent, not represent, but you, you know, you're talking to expats or whatever else. I mean, you're not you're not acting necessarily as ad hoc ticket agents for those people. You're just giving them the best advice on how to get. That's into right. No, no, we we don't deal in tickets. We have no. There's no commercial operation at all. I mean, it, it's very useful actually not having any of that involved. We don't have any responsibility for mm-hmm. it. But it would be a lot more difficult, I think, to get a good location to base ourselves in if everywhere. People thought we were actually a commercial enterprise yep. with money changing hands. So all the services we provide are free. So the f- of that leads sort of onto a sort of a commercial question. I mean, is it the FSF that funds your entire operation? You work for the FSF. Is this extra FSF or within? the FSF itself? Well, the, 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 the fans' embassy is run by the FSF, and it's, right. it's, it's independent, it's not out strings, but the fo- it costs a lot of money to run. Yeah, it sounds and like the actual it. funding comes in the form of a grant from the Home Office. Right. Because it's, you know, particularly that's been the case since Euro 2000, after Euro 2000, because you had all the new football legislation introduced after Euro 2000, that's where the banning orders legislation mm-hmm. came in. And I think the feeling of government at that stage was if they're going to introduce so many fairly draconian laws and restrictions on football fans, then they were going to also have to be even-handed and support those fans who were trying to do the right thing when they were following their team, just wanted to go and have a laugh and support their, their team. And that's where their support, their financial support for what we do kicked in. And what I'm pleased to say is it comes without strings as well. It's, so it's arm's you know, length. They just say, here, have yeah, this money. Here's a grant, provide the service. Um, you, you decide what you're saying. I mean, obviously we're... I don't think they would continue to do that if they thought we were fermenting violence and inciting hatred of other teams' sure. fans and all that sort of thing. But that's not the ethos. The, of the a FSF doesn't anyway. have that reputation. <laughs> no, no, and I'm pretty pleased about that. To be yeah. honest. No, fair enough. Um, okay, so I mean, you you go over to each and every game, so that's that's a tremendous commitment that you've made. I'm presuming that you actually go. So you know, you, you're in this as an England fan as much as anything else, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm in the privileged position because I work full time for the FSF, and uh, so it, it's it's part of my work. Mm-hmm. But the, I take a team of volunteers with me. Now they are all England fans who don't get paid; mm-hmm. they go in their own time. Now we cover we contribute towards their expenses and their you know travel, but they give up. They just don't go on a, on the drink for a couple of days like everybody else does. Yeah. They give up their time uh, and work for long hours as well on this as volunteers, and I think they're the ones that deserve the real credit. I mean, I'm, a lot of people would say I've got actually the most privileged job in It the does sound world. like you've got a pretty cushy one. Um, yeah. Cushy's not quite the right one, because <laughs> no. it, it, it's long hours. Yeah, you know, yeah, the travel's sure. very tiring. Uh, I can feel the sympathy welling up inside you now as I, I speak. Look, I get to talk about football on the radio. I, I would not consider, you know, I, I, I can't. No, I mean, it, and, it's and hard work. It's quite challenging. There's some difficult situations, yeah. but I am well aware of what a privileged position it is. It certainly beats going down the pit. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, what do you know of your European equivalents? Because you do have, I mean, when you look at your website, there does seem to be this kind of, there's a number of sort of fan embassies knocking around the place. Have you been kind of a prototype for their model or, or of, of these things, you know, been in, or your involved, uh, sorry, your enterprise been informed by things that you've witnessed of a similar ilk elsewhere? Well, it, one of the interesting Part of the history is that the English Fans Embassy, which was set up by fans, by mem- individual members of a fans organisation, as fan activists, very much independent, they came and developed this Fans Embassy service. At the same time, there was a development among the Germans, which was run by their fan projects, which aren't democratic, you know, membership-based fans organisations. These are projects of social workers, effectively, mm. based around each club, and they developed their own their national team a similar sort of thing. Now, what's interesting is that despite the very different starting points of both operations, what they actually ended up doing in practice was very, very similar. They produced a fanzine. They gave out information. They ran a telephone helpline. They went to the security meetings and found out what, and you made representations about how fans should be treated and found out what the plans were. So the actual methodology that both arrived at through experience was virtually identical. Mm. And what we have done is we've, proselytized a bit about the benefits of this for fans. We've got an echo among the football authorities, particularly in UEFA, who see the benefit for them. So UEFA have, at their tournaments over the course of the last few European championships, they have funded other countries to, to conduct a similar operation. Now, part of what we're trying to do is to make sure that the other countries get to do something beyond just the confines of a tournament finals where UEFA are funding it, and they're in a position to do it at every game qualifiers and friendlies between tournaments like we and the Germans do. Yeah. But certainly the network across Europe now of several other countries who provide that sort of fans embassy service uh, for their travelling supporters. And it's based on what we do. Now, we, I think it's fair to say that what we do, what the Germans do, is pretty much the deluxe end of the, the fans embassy spectrum sure. because of the funding that we've got. And others are still at the stage that we were at years ago of getting things going, doing it on a voluntary basis, and it evolved. But we all learn from each other in terms of things that we can do and you know, and, the, and the methods for how we do it. The other thing that we're trying to spread is to get beyond just the national teams and tournaments because there are more English football fans travel abroad every year for club football than there are with the English national team. Champions League matches and Europa League matches yeah, as well as pre-season friendlies and stuff. And what we're trying to do is to encourage uh, a similar operation for club sides travelling abroad in Europe as, yeah. the, as we have around the national team. Now that's a bit tricky because while the government has been prepared to fund this stuff for the national team level, addressing particular issues around England's national team support, image and reputation. How do you convince the government that cash-rich or you know, cash-rich looking entities need or require funding to do the same thing? And then how do you convince clubs that this is something they should be doing? Well, the answer to your first question, I don't think we can. Yeah. I don't think in the current climate it's realistic to expect the government to do that. But I do think that there's enough money in Champions League and Europa League football for each club to be able to afford a modest amount of money to be able to run a similar sort of service. Now, our job is to help to identify some volunteers from among the fan base at the various different clubs of people who will take it seriously and, and do the job as volunteers like my team do with the England setup. But we've also got to convince the club that there's a benefit to them. But I think we're starting to do that. We're planning to run a couple of pilot schemes over the course of the rest of this season with English clubs abroad and demonstrate the benefits. I mean, I think the... The people are active in security and policing and looking after fans around the English national team are convinced of the value of what we do. Yeah. And we've got to, I think, convince the clubs to do this, this, the same sort of thing. And we're, we're well in the way of that. There are one or two clubs already talking to us about they're prepared to, to try it out and put some money towards funding it. And you can see there are English clubs get issues when they travel abroad. I mean, one of the clubs that we're talking to, for instance, is Everton. And they had their own problems in Lille, where their fans yes, travelled over did, to yeah. France for the game recently, where it was felt afterwards that had there been a fans' embassy, some of those problems could have been averted. So that, we're working on it. It's, a, it's an evolution in process. Excellent. Well, look, um, many sort of well, wish you luck evolving it in the future. And, uh, yeah, it's been a privilege to talk to you, Kevin. Thanks ever so much for giving of your time to Cafe Couch Show this evening. It's been a real pleasure. 
You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. This is indeed Cafe Couch. I am Chris Dixon. Uh, David Stubbs is in the house as always. Hello, David. Hello. He is joined now by... Oh, Chris Roberts. Oh, yeah, Chris Roberts. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Chris Roberts. Yes. You know, it's all right. You did actually appear earlier than you said you would, so I, I that's did, absolutely yes. fine. You said you'd be here three seconds ago. You actually arrived ten <coughs> minutes sent- hence. So, you know, yes. that's that's not bad so at I, all, I, is I it? I could listen to the previous interview, which was really interesting. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, uh, well, you know, thoughts, Chris? Mm. Oh, I, I think you asked the right question. I, they're <laughs> not going to pay the money. They're not going, No government is going to pay the money for cash-rich clubs. I'd also say that um, maybe a pot from the regular people who turn up in the Champions League to fund it for the other teams might be kinder as well. Because yeah. not... Yes, the clubs in the Premier League have um, spare cash sloshing around, but I'm not sure Sporting Sausage, Lithuania, no sort of teams do. And I think... So a European-wide cash pot? A European-wide cash pot paid out of the teams who regularly go to the Champions League Because we were talking about something similar, actually. Um, We were talking about a European competition for lower league clubs. Well, that's what the Europa League is. No, it's not. Is it, really? Yeah, Yeah, maybe teams of of a lower ilk, Everton. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. um, Mid-table teams. Yes, so... That was Kevin Mars of the. Uh, he's the chief executive of the Football Supporters Federation and the guy in charge of these wonderful fan embassies that travel around following England and uh, and are growing and evolving all the time to help the common or garden travelling football fan <coughs> in Europe and worldwide. So let's talk to a travelling football fan. Good there idea. we go. I mean, yes, we've got you, and we had beautiful reportage from you last Thursday, Chris Roberts. Uh, and well, much this is fun a guy who's travelled more extensively. And for good reason, because he's a Manchester United fan, and they do tend to play a lot of European football. Steve Armstrong of United We Stand, are you there, sir? I am. And Excellent. Can I just say that this European travel thing was before Steve Round got involved at Manchester United? So we've had a year off, thanks to him. No, well, yes, okay, yeah, fair enough. But, but you know, it's good to have a break, right? Uh, no, it isn't actually. <laughs> yeah, I've had, you know, I'm, I'm getting things like holiday brochures from the missus put in front of me, so you know that sort of stuff. Because uh, it's the only time you're well, actually going to go well, away. You know, we, we, I was saying this to somebody the other day. We've been together for years and years and years, and we've only ever been on holiday twice. So. Uh, yeah, we're now, I'm kind of getting the eye now about, you know, can we do this, can we do that? So I'm having to come up with all kinds of excuses. And so those those habits have been broken and yeah. you're now you're now on the slippery slope to domestication. Yeah, well, the other thing that keeps getting tired around is, is, is the, um, you know, the, I've, I've probably, I'm, I'm meant to have more spare money than I've ever had before, but what I'm finding is on my time off now, instead of being here, there and everywhere with United, I'm just gambling on horses more than <laughs> So I'm actually worse off, so, you know. And you're not winning either. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'd sooner be spending it on watching United abroad. Yeah, somebody said to me the other day, you know, you don't see many uh, many bookmakers with the pants around their ankles, do you? Um, metaphorically or literally, I'd say. Well, I'm guessing. No. Wise, but yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. So, um, last European trip you were actually with United with. With United on, rather. Yeah, when was uh, it? Was uh, who did we get turfed out by? It was Munich, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, Munich last season. Yeah. Um, are you? I mean, I I don't like to say one of these fans, quote unquote. But I mean, do you? Every opportunity you get to see United away, that's your priority. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's what you're doing. It. I mean, you know, the. Um, I don't think. I mean, I've been going for as long as I've been old enough to go, mm. um, which. Uh, yeah, and and the age that I considered to be old enough to go differed very very greatly from my parents. Uh, who, uh, cause the, I think I, I think the first one I did on my own, I was age thirteen, and I kind of went. This is them this is a European trip. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Top me, man, me, me that's that's the attitude. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I don't know. I've probably I don't think I've missed one since uh, uh, back end of back end of eighty four. I think it was. Um, my my co-presenters are just sort of have just stopped swearing at me in silence. I've been wondering what on earth they've been going on about, but I've just turned the volume up in their headphones so we can now hear you speaking. Sorry about that, Steve. They've no idea of any of the, your previous content. Apologies yeah, all, all, for that. All the no, idea was what Chris's end of it, and you know, making sense of that is always difficult. <laughs> well, I didn't use any of those words that in the run-up. No, 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 no. Of course you didn't. Possibly. Good, good. I'm glad. It's so, sensitive ears. your first trip away. 
Yeah, well, o- it was, overseas um, yeah, we, was at the age of thirteen. Yeah, we, um, me and a couple of mates, just decided that look, that's what we were going to do. So, I mean, I'm, I'm from. And this uh, is a couple of mates, no parental knowledge that this was happening until, until you'd got, gone no, back. No, the parental knowledge soon, soon, soon occurred, but I was, I was way gone back. You were committed. That. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, that got dealt with. Uh, that got dealt with. Uh, well, put it one way, I got. I got dealt with when I got home in a way that probably wouldn't be allowed nowadays. So, uh, uh, <laughs> and we won't describe it. No, we no, won't describe no, it. No, 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 that was it. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't too far away. It was only. It was Eindhoven, wasn't it? So, okay. Like your way up to Hull, get yourself over to Rotterdam on the ferry. You know, keep out of uh, keep out of the way of people who want to take money off you to get there, and then uh, then off you go. So, you know, it's almost <laughs> So, uh, no wonder I turned out the way I did. I mean, that's 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 fantastic. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, I from thought our point so. Obviously, you know, if if you want to call mum or dad, um, they, they might have a different. They view. might feel different. You could give them the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but. I mean, did you find as a 13-year-old it was actually easier to get away with, with travelling in that, in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think things, things were easier. At the, I think we all can say things were easier at the age of 13 than they were at 33 because you're expected to know better by the time you get to that age. But no, but no it was more to do with, you know, I, I think age is, age is just a thing. It, yeah, it's, it, it's know, not a reference on maturity, is no, it? No, is it, Al, you know. Um, but it's also, you know, I think when you get brought up, in certain inner cities areas like I was in, you know, North Manchester, which, you know, you, you know, you can have the mentality of someone considerably over because of the upbringing and because of the things that you're surrounded by as you're growing up. So, you know, I think most people who were brought up in certain parts of of the world do tend to get a little bit older before the time. So, you know, 13 in body, yeah, but, you know, it's not like I couldn't look after myself. So you've got off the ferry and, and you're on your way to PSV. Um, what are your memories of the game? None. Excellent. Yeah. No, I think it was nil-nil if I remember right. Um, but um, is that is that no because the game is absolutely empty, or because uh, you know, as as an eighteen-year-old, you were just experiencing everything that you one should at that age? I think I think you know I challenge, I challenge anybody to say you know describe the first game that you went to and tell me what happened on the pitch yeah. because I can't you know yeah. I, you know I can describe walking up to the ground being giddy and seeing everything going on around me and being in awe of what I was getting into. But other than that, you know, I can't actually remember. Yeah, I can track the smells, mm. but I couldn't tell yeah. you what happened. Yeah. Actually, I was yeah. about, yeah, I was about to challenge on that. Yeah, no, I was at Hull 3, Portsmouth 1 in 1971. Or was it Hull 1, Portsmouth 3? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. fair point. <laughs> fair point. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, that was that. And then, um, obviously, um, uh, the other thing that, w- that was easy, that I think um, that was... I think United got through that tie, and I think they got through the tie at Old Trafford. I mean, but um, I think the game after that was Dundee United, so um, that wasn't that was again it was a European tie, but it, again it was it was pretty straightforward getting to and from it. That was just a coast job. So again, so in that first sort of season, yeah, it was PSV and Dundee United, and then but then after that, obviously what went on at Eisel um, and, and the subsequent ban but, uh, meant that you know the next chance that we had to go abroad um, was. You'd be a mature traveller of the age of eighteen. Oh, possibly. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I kind of didn't have to. Um, I didn't have to wait till my parents had gone to bed before making sure I could jump out the window <laughs> and get up. So it was, you know, I'm off, I'm off. But, um, but yeah, um, 1990, I think was obviously we we were um, we were we'd won the FA Cup in 1990, and um, you know that uh, after the mm-hmm. replay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ferguson oh, managed to keep though. himself in that job on that game, and then yeah. the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, it was nothing Forest, wasn't it? But, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, well, if we want to talk about that game... I Sorry, yeah. No, no, that's not... No, 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 no. Let's move back to Europe. That was, that was my brilliant. bitterness as a you Palace fan coming don't, through. Don't, don't you don't, worry. No. Yeah. I think no. it was Palace trying, trying to... Abandoning the brilliant football they played in the first game and decided it was going to try and hack everything. And United shut everything United. down. Yeah. And we played in black and yellow that night, which, yeah, you know... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that kind of... That kind of triggered the club onto where it sort of started to head. And so, obviously, yeah, we United were in the... Um, United were obviously back in Europe the first year that the clubs were allowed back in. If I think if you remember, British clubs got a five-year ban, and I think mm. Liverpool cop for an extra year. So, yes, they did. Uh, yeah, the first yeah. one. But, um, but yeah, I think by then, um, 
and, and I think the good thing is, if you think about what was happening in and around Manchester at that time, you know, with the music scene and all the Manchester That's stuff. Manchester, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I, was yeah, just thinking. I, I remember going up there at that point. I mean, it was a music journalist. I was writing for Melody Maker at the time. Yeah. And I remember it seemed like a kind of separate sort of republic had been declared, you know, in which people were kind of flapping sort of flared jeans out of the yeah. window, like sort of, yeah. you know, revolutionary flags. It was, yeah, yeah it was, it, it, it was but an amazing it, time. But it, was, it, was, it, it just became a party place. Uh, mm. And that obviously then just it didn't just carry it wasn't just something that that manifested at night after you'd finished school college work or whatever it was everywhere you went and there was just a whole buzz about the place and that included the feel good factor of going to united and and then obviously when that that cup run that we went on in 1990 which started off in hungary um pesky monthus i mean god knows whatever happened to them i don't know if they're still existing or anything but um you know we had a we had a trip out there which uh, was a lot of fun given the fact that you could probably get you know, you could take 20 quid. The Berlin Wall had just yeah. come down. It's 1990. I've just sort of clocked all that. So it was that whole time of change, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Every, yeah. Everything was in, in, in flux. Yeah, the end of history. Yeah. yeah. So so I think we had Rex and Montpellier, Warsaw in the semi-final. And then, you know, what happened in... Because, listen, United got to the final against the Giants at Barcelona. And, you know, we just weren't meant to... Did you say you knocked out Wrexham on the way? Yeah, right. Second that, 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 international travel. That is was that, that miles. That, was that the game that Mark Hughes scored that great goal, wasn't it? That, that against Barcelona in that final. Yeah, that second one. Yeah, yeah the second the one, one. Yeah, I didn't remember that very vividly. Yeah, off Steve Bruce. Yeah, but that uh, that rocket. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but um, yeah, he's gone on to tarnish his own legend a lot since by doing well joining Man City for one. But um, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it was it was a fantastic cup run. Do, do you have a sort of nostalgia for those particular times when it was days like Cup Winners Cup and you were meeting teams like Dundee United, whatever? And it, I mean, to me, there always seemed to be a bit more sort of kind of, you know, romance about the kind of European Cup competitions. And especially at that time as mm. well. You must have seen an awful lot of social history as you were travelling. Yeah, and, and I think anybody... I think there's no point to me in, in going to a game and coming back and, you know, listen, some people do it because they can afford, that's what they can afford to do, some people. But if you're going to travel, go and see some of these places. Cause that's, mm. You know, it's, mm. you, know, you don't know when... You know, it's like the season, you know, you know, you, you just don't know when your last one's going to be. And you know, I think when you weigh up, it, it's an absolute privilege. And I think I said to you before I came on... Um, you know, it, people think you're spoiled being a United fan. You just, but listen, that privilege is absolutely never lost on me, and mm. I'd, I'd never not want to do that. And if you'd say to me, look, you know, name the one thing that you enjoy doing more than anything else in your life, I'd say going to watch United abroad with with my mates. And you know, the, the actual match is, is often secondary to very it's completely even agree. as United yeah, fans. Totally. It's, uh... Yeah, to the extent it's something you've hung itself. everything else around, but it's not actually the focus of your evening. Well, I still think everything's. I think everything's pro out. I mean, the worst ninety minutes of of the trip to Barcelona in '99 was the match. You know, everything's pro, you know, everything's pro rata to, to where you're at, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, because of what happened on the pitch, everything after it was even better than it would have been. That was still the worst part of it. And, you know, that, that's that's the thing there. But, um, but yeah, you mentioned that Wrexham trip. That was the funny thing, because obviously we about, there was a couple of mates we went with that we'd convinced them that you needed a passport to get over the border. <laughs> that's true, isn't it? And a couple of them had to go in the coach store underneath. <laughs> Because you were smuggling them through the border. Yeah. Oh, no. That's, That's very good. That's Somewhere very good. around Chester, yeah, just well, getting yeah. the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, more fooling. But, yeah, that, 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 but that, that game in Rotterdam, which, um, you know, was tipping it down with rain at the end of the day. It was uh, the world-famous Barcelona and, you know, United. In, certainly in my lifetime, weren't, mm. weren't in that and weren't no. in that, that league, and you know we weren't. We had no. We we never felt for one minute we were just glad to be there. But uh, yeah, that that trip to me, despite everything that we've been and done since, that still is is my favourite ever event. Watching United on the concert because it was kind of you know something that happened that we just weren't expected to do. If you look at you know the the treble triumph in '99, ultimately yeah. United was were the best team in Europe. So. It, you know, although it happened quite dramatically, United, you know, there was an expectation that at some point United would win the European Cup around that time. So I very much enjoy the way that you've crept around the word deserved there. You've done well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, out of the experiences that you've had, I mean, outside of the football, yeah. what are some of the things out, you know, other than, you know, hiding your mates? In the coach, in 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 That'll the, be a in the luggage, me, actually, in yeah. the luggage yeah. compartment or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've been told that there is a subject that I I, I <laughs> should both ask you 
and not ask you yeah. about. Yeah, I'm, I, I know the subject you mean, and I think it's specifically not. It involves Southampton away. That so it's. It oh, okay. So that. it's actually not. That's that's not that's non-European. Non-European. Okay. No, if you so want, I, I can tell you that. Off air, possibly. The person yeah. that involves might be listening. Um, <laughs> Brings all kinds of legal problems. Don't do that. Yeah, I don't know in terms of off the, off the pitch memories. I mean, '91, we had, I think the first game as holders of the of the Cup Winners' Cup, we went to Athenaikos, and I can't even begin to tell you the, the number of people that saw that as a chance to go for a bit of Greek sunshine. Um, <sighs> you know, fourteen, fifteen, or thousand were out there. So you know, places like that. You know, '93 when we first went to Istanbul. Um, I was going to say that was that was a pretty, that must be a pretty hairy experience. I remember, if I remember that game, the United lost, didn't they, or managed to draw? Well, they were both draws, yeah. I think draw, it was yeah. Real, Old Trafford nil nil out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but what's it? That I mean, you know, they're not not exactly the most welcoming of. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, we've been back. We've we've obviously been back to Istanbul a lot of times since mm. to play other clubs, and we've been back once or twice to play Galatasaray. But that first one was was off the scale lunacy. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know that. Um, We'll put it one way, I wouldn't have gone there at age 13 on my own. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's, um, you know, things like that were, were great. But it, again, it's getting to go to some of these places, like some of the, some of the best cities around. And, you know, we've you know, got the pleasure of going to Paris, you know, all of Vienna, you know, Lisbon, somewhere I absolutely just love going to because of the, the climate and the culture out there. So, you know, we, we've, we've been incredibly lucky. But, you know, we've had some early moments, the Galatasaray one, which obviously was support-related. Um, mm. You know, we... You know, certain certain police forces in certain locations don't take too kindly, and you know they, you know they want trouble. Mm. Um, after time, I mean Porto in '97, where we were we were getting shot at by the police, springs to mind. Mm. Um, you know, we've had it in France with so Leon. You've, you've witnessed gunfire. Uh, in we've been shot at. You've been yeah, shot yeah, at. I've, 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 I've had mates hit with bullets in front of me, and you know it's it's not pleasant. But you know, it seems to be a more acceptable. Thing now, do you think there was just a presupposition that anybody, any English fans travelling were hooligans? I think there were still memories that that lingered on from what happened, you know, in the sort of back end of the eighties, and and I still think that I don't think that ban actually changed a lot because what it did do is it it just by the time that people waited five, six, seven years to go again, you know, people were then you know almost reverting back to type and being idiots. Yeah, and on the other side, that kind of the the ban almost, you know, on the the other side, it it reinforced the the fact that these are English and 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 do that. Can I ask you something? I mean, how long do you try? I mean, obviously, given unlimited amount of time, we would spend ages away on these how, how long do you try and get away with in Couple terms days. of you want yeah. to do at least one night the, the night before more often than not is where the most fun's had and right. you know that's where you get to see the place the city the, the town and, yeah. and all these other th- other things that that because that, that's why you go ultimately you know it's um yeah so yeah i think occasionally because of work and i mean I'm, I'm fortunate with my job i got a lot of flexibility in the job that i do and i've got an even more Flexible misses, which, which I think is more important to the two. Yes, if you don't want yeah. to flagging that up, yeah. but yeah, no. And I, I was, I was interested in that because yes, there is a luxury element to people who can afford to fly back on a night, but also um, there's a time luxury element of how much time you can spend yeah. around it. I mean, I, I spent days in Berlin after going to Wolfsburg last week, and it was great. But I was, that's what I wanted to do, and I, I would, I would feel cheated, yeah. as you say, if I just went, you know, went saw the game, came out. back. What's the point of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, you, Wolfsburg on its own is not exactly the, the highlight. No, I like the Christmas market, though, I've got to say, you know. But the, <laughs> but the, the idea that you, you, you're hanging a load of um, cultural events around this, this, this football match is, yeah. is main the point. Well, of, and you mentioned Christmas um, markets. We were in Cologne last year for uh, Leverkusen. Fantastic and, city. Yeah, it's, My favourite. Yeah, it is superb, isn't it? But I'll, I overheard, I, I put it in the fanzine, and actually overheard somebody complaining about the Christmas markets there because they were just a rip-off of the ones in Manchester. Thank <laughs> 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 you. Do you get much that's of that? Brilliant. That kind of that's that really bringing brilliant. bringing the uh, let's put let's, let's call it what it is. Let bring in that kind of no, ignorance with you fans, and then just cringing some, at it. Some yeah. Liverpool fan. Um, it was in the farm fanzine, and they they they. they he was going over to France. They were playing someone in France, and he, he'd taken a he'd taken a loaf of bread over with him. And his mate goes, "What are you doing? What are you doing with that bread?" He goes, "Well, they don't make bread properly over there, do they?" It was just kind of the mm. madness of mm. that. You, you can like... usually spot the people who clearly haven't been any further than Oldham. <laughs> do, do you find personally that when you are travelling and you are just sort of looking around cities or whatever, that do you prefer to sort of travel, you know, sort of be a sort of discreet tourist, or you know, would you sort of you know wear your kind of shirt or whatever? I mean, I mean that you know. You, you get, you, you tend to see that on match day. I, I, listen, you know, I think 
it's important that you go there and respect the, the culture, the city, the places that you yeah. go in. You know, acting the loon. You know, we've, yeah. we've all done, I'm sure. But you know, you, you know, I'd like to think that I've kind of grown. I can, I can do it with the best of them. But you've got to respect where you're going. And mm. but no, you want to meet you around. You want to see a bit of the culture. You want to see, mm. you know, you want to sit in and have a decent meal in some nice mm. restaurants. You don't want to just get no. you know, plastered all day. And all but I mean, that. you know, conversely, I thought that maybe you know, if you are there travelling as a football fan, that maybe there's a kind of way of friend. I mean, meeting meeting other football fans, you know, from other teams or whatever. And you do see that. And again, you get to some places where I mean, you get you can get to some cities where you, you know you just not. I mean. If you go anywhere that's Basque related, I mean, last year I went to we went to San Sebastian, which if you, yeah. you know, it's a that's beautiful stunning mm. place. Um, and we've you know I've never been there before because mm. you know so we went largely because we've never played is there that, before. Hey, what, is that Betis? Not Betis. Real Betis. Real Sociedad. Yeah, Sociedad. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, <coughs> Moy's liked it that much. He's gone back. Um, yeah, you see. <laughs> so, but um, you know, you get you, that kind of Basque part of Spain. You'll never meet friendly. You'll never see friendliness like that anywhere in the world. And mm. you know, it, it's just it's just great. So yeah, you, you do. But then there's other, you know, like Rome, for example, where you just you know you, mm. you get these letters saying under no circumstances do do you go here, do you go there, mm. which you, you know. Unfortunately, for some people, it's, it's not. a red rag to a ball. Well, it's an it? invite. Yeah. yeah, you know, you might as well say, "Look, here's if you, you know, if you want to cause some trouble, go and, go and do it here." Which, you know, that's that's what tends to happen. Unfortunately, mm. but no, most, you know, I do think that you know when you've you've you kind of become established travellers, you do know where to go, what to see, what to behave, and, and all that kind of good stuff, and you don't lose sight of why. I just love the buzz of walking down the streets, you know, a thousand miles away from home and, and yeah. seeing people that that. that you know, you see in your local and you see around mm. your own ground. It's just a, it's just a great privilege. And, and budget airlines, budget travel more mm. often than not. Make it possible. Do, do, do you find these days that um, that maybe in the past there was... Do you think that maybe football and culture across the world, the way that people consume football, i.e. go to matches or whatever, and the whole sort of vibe and atmosphere there, do you think it's become maybe more homogenised over the years or do you find that it's just it's still very distinctive, you know, from place to place? Um that's a good question. Um, I think the fan culture is very, very different in terms of atmosphere. I mean, you can, you know, you, you stand up for more than a minute in a UK ground. You more mm. often than not, you'd have to sit down. Whereas, you know, if you, it seems like you, know, you can do, you can, you can set fire to your seat, in certain, <laughs> and it's encouraged. You know, so I think you know that. that can, but again, that can be part of the attraction, part of the challenge sometimes. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it is slightly different. But I do think that what you are seeing though is. Is I think as you know, you know, as television brings more continental football to your screens, mm. um, I think people sort of have a greater understanding of you know um, football culture, fan culture, and, yeah. and all of these other what's, things. So what, I, I think there's an education piece that, that takes place prior to even getting that. Yeah, what's the furthest flung place that you'd say they've been to? You know, that from you know, the biggest kind of almost like. What you, know, you mean? Not necessarily geographically. You mean culturally? Well, yeah, whichever you know. Um, we would. We were. I mean. It probably wouldn't surprise you to say, you know, when you go into some of these like Far East, uh, mm. not Far East, sorry, um, Eastern European places yes. where, you know, but um, we've not, we don't get too many of them because no. obviously the Champions League side of things. But um, we were fortunate enough to get drawn in um, Cluj. Um, mm. Yeah. A couple of, I think it was, it was Cluj. That's a couple of seasons ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was uh, 12, the 12th, 13th. Only a couple of seasons okay. ago, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, but, oh. um, you know, the, the, uh, the 80p a pint, Thing that you thought was consigned mm. to the eighties is still very, very alive. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah. you know, ordering pints of mojito for one pound fifty, like James <laughs> Bond, you know, you just think, you know, it's, so yeah, you, you, there's still some, not so much the football culture. Pint of mojito is shaking, not stupid. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. the more you drink, the more you save. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, um, but yeah, girls, yeah. not so much, not so much the cultures of of the, you know, it's the. It's it's the cultures where commerce, industry, finance, business hasn't ruined it. Um, mm. Where you where you tend to see that, but but yeah, but um, the um, obviously we. I mean, you know, we. Um, I found when we went to Brazil for the World Club final in whenever that was. Um, God, two thousand. Yeah, it was two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, that's when we had six weeks off and um, and still came back top of the league because nobody bothered to put <laughs> lies on it. But, and yeah, you, that, you decided to sack off the FA Cup that year as yeah, well, didn't you? Well, yeah, well, you know, listen, the, uh, 
you know, I'm sure we all know the inside out. That's fine. Yeah, no, 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 no. Mm. Just, never yeah. sat well with me either. I should have, you know, they should have. And in fairness, it was the only ever time, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, they could have sent 12 people off the stands, I think, just to have Manchester United out there. I, mm. you know, I mean, not defending the tournament you'd won was, um, mm. was I, mean, I mean, United got proper stitched over by that, but more fool them for, for believing it. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that one, um, you know, we went out to Brazil. I think when I saw. The, the absolute squalor out there in certain parts of Rio was it was quite quite disturbing to be honest and quite upsetting that you think people live like that in this day and age so you know the, the, you can get the odd jolt like that um, you know and again sometimes when you go to places like Marseille where I've never seen you know begging and, and poverty like it um, mm. you just sometimes wouldn't associate it with yeah. places like that so yeah you can hang on a minute this is France this is Western Europe what's what I mean? going on yeah you know you can go not too far, you know. You, you're not too far away from the, the Monaco's and the Nieces of this world, which are just, you know, incredible wealth. So you just sort of think, you know, you don't appreciate that sometimes. But yeah, you know, um, you, you you get to see a bit of that. But um, but yeah, culturally, I guess that uh, that's that's the biggest gap we've seen. Uh, question that I haven't really kind of prepared for or anything, like that, but but just to sort of maybe bring a little bit of brevity, not brevity, levity to it. Um, have you? Have you been away and had any purely unmitigated disasters away from football and away from any kind of violence? Have you had anything where it's just all gone completely wrong? <laughs> oh dear. Um, probably hundreds of them. I mean, the, <laughs> the most recent ones. That's pretty, I'll, tell, I'll tell you one thing that dawned on me. It was um, the, um, it, this could have been the biggest disaster ever, but I got away with it. I um, Because of the, the, the Japan, when we, um, we won the World Club thing in Japan in Oh, whatever, oh nine it must have been, and we flew out for that. Um, just because of the way it panned out with work, and then I had to get back on the Monday for my brother-in-law's wedding. Um, <laughs> I um, I literally went to. I was in Japan for seven hours, um, <laughs> and what dawned on me as I'm flying out on this journey that it was I'd forgotten that we had a semi-final to play, um, and it dawned on me that I could land here and find out that we've actually been knocked out of it. Um, and the sheer horror of that fight was just the worst <laughs> feeling I've ever had. Um, but uh, anyway, no, that, fortunately that all panned out quite well. But uh, So think, that wasn't a risk that you took? It was just a le- it's, it's something that you, you came to realise yeah. in the fight? Yeah, yeah there, oh, God, there was no planning involved. It wasn't, you know, a gamble I took. No, it was a, oh, hang on. You know. passing, <laughs> a, <laughs> passing the players in the departure lounge as you were coming to arrivals. <laughs> you know, yeah. th- that was one where, I mean, you know, going to Japan over three days for seven hours, um, you know, just before Christmas wasn't the smartest. I think my body clock got back on track round about March time. <laughs> yeah. No, I think um, what was it? I mean, Bill, the, we had the we had the uh, we had the the plane that um, we had a plane that that um, that that decided it wasn't going to get us home. Um, I think two years ago in in Bilbao, so we um, we. Um, we got an extra night in Bilbao, which was a real shame. Um, you know, at the, at the, yeah. so yeah, but no, we've we've managed to swerve. You know, the the biggest disasters that that uh, that we've had. I think largely largely because most of the time, you know, most of your own travel arrangement to your own. And I think if you go with clubs, it's all pretty official and, and pretty so. But now I, I have to say, I've been. I've been incredibly lucky, but I could point you to hundreds of people who've had planes cancelled, buses cancelled. The sad one, I think it was the the '99 European Cup final um, in Barcelona, where a lot of people um, their travel their travel operator went bust on the morning of travel um, yeah. and didn't get out there to see what ultimately was a. Uh, you know mm. the the pinnacle of a tremendous season. So, but no, I've been I've been pretty lucky on that score. Actually, some people left that early, didn't they? George Best apparently he left that game early. Yeah, yeah. There's there's loads of anybody else did. There's loads of stuff. I'd, I'd uh, you know I'd it wasn't really. I'd given up on it, but um, but uh, I was pretty hammered anyway. So I'd kinda, <laughs> I kind of wasn't too bothered. You enjoyed the wave mm. of, uh, of, um, of euphoria when it actually came around. It was a bizarre one because um, it was it was it was it was the shock of it. I enjoyed Moscow more. Because that was just unraveling mm. um, in the front, in, in front of us, and, mm. and you know, oh, with the John Terry penalty, yes, yeah, yeah. could have happened to a nicer fella. <laughs> no, um, <indeed>. Certain <laughs> amount of, of pay. Yeah, that, that was just surreal. Two English teams at what ultimately I think the game ended at quarter past two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, which so I think that in terms of an event, you know, we were still walking around the day after in Barcelona, thinking, did that actually happen? Um, <laughs> And uh, so yeah, it was. But you know, you can imagine, you can imagine P- 
pitching up at the airport in the morning, can't you? Than being told, sorry, you've, you know, not only is your flying not here, but neither is the person that you've paid to, and uh, we don't know where he is. So, you know, <laughs> pretty sad, really. But no, I've, I've been pretty lucky on that front. Well, Steve, it's uh, been wonderful to talk to you this evening. I will say to you, uh, to a point, stay lucky. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, enjoy supporting United uh, over land and sea. Thanks. Good to talk to you, lad. Yeah, it's right. been brilliant. Yeah, nice Thanks. Thanks so much, Steve. You take care. Ta-da now. So, yeah, Steve Armstrong, uh, he writes for United We Stand. Um, thoroughly interesting chap. Yeah, that's no, really good. Yes, yeah. Nice, nice dry wit, I thought. Yeah, uh, typical, of, typical of his region. Yeah, typical of his region. <laughs> yes. Typical of the provinces. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, I see. You fellows are awfully witty. <laughs> terribly sharp. You love a mank. Marvellous. OK, uh, so now that we've been completely disrespectful, or at least I have, uh, it leaves me only to say a few goodbyes. Uh Firstly, to our guests, Kevin Miles and Steve Armstrong, uh, you know, in, in their absence because they're no longer live. Thank you very much to talk for talking to us tonight. Um, David Stubbs, thank you. Chris Roberts, thank, thank you. you. Uh, thank, thank you as well. Yeah, holding thank it you very much. Yeah. And of course, thank you for listening. Uh, we leave you as ever with a tune. This is Delano Smith with Survival. And uh, this is Chris Dixon and Cafe Calcio saying good night, <coughs> good morning, good whenever, wherever you are. And we'll speak to you soon.